Anchorage is so colorful. Um, and I mean that in every way. It's just like, there's so much character here. There's so much grit. There's so much uh, humor. Um, I've done the thing recently of just trying to put like a ton of Alaska references in my songs. Like, um, so there's a couple of new songs coming out on this. We got an EP coming out January 25th. And mm-hmm. I think one song has the taproot in it uh, by name. Another song has um, um, Asia Garden in it. And I say the old Seward Highway. Um, um another one i wrote a couple it's not on the cp but last year it's got the buckaroo in it like uh, i wrote a new song in la where i talk about going to the timeout lounge like so for me again maybe that's my city kid lens but i i'm obsessed with brick and mortar places right so like bars a hand painted sign a warm stool like you know a leather covered seat like yeah i am obsessed with these places these haunts these where all these working people and maybe they came up for a slope job and now they're you know now they're a family and mm-hmm. they don't they dream about going back to michigan but they live here and and this is where they go and drink to blow off steam like i'm obsessed with these tales and um i don't know if it fully informs everything i i, I say but it's it, it will show up in my writing i think in perpetuity now that was Nick Carpenter of Medium Build. He grew up in a religious household, so the church and its teachings ruled everything. Money was important too, but Nick says it was always just out of their reach. So in many ways, that resulted in them idolizing it. Because so many emotions were attached to it. Obsession, fear, paranoia, shame. It influenced their perception of themselves and others. This led Nick to his fear of money that if he didn't remain vigilant and aware of the pitfalls of wealth, it would consume him. So he and his brother made a conscious effort to undo a lot of what they were taught, and in the process, figure out who they are without those teachings. Today, he and his parents have found understanding in their differences. They focus on connecting on the things they enjoy. Food, music, playing board games. They stay honest with each other, and they remind themselves that they're stronger together. Okay, back to Nick Carpenter. When he was eight years old, he started singing in front of hundreds, sometimes thousands of people at his church. Then when he was 15, he realized that he wanted to write and play his own music. He wrote a song and played it for a girl he had a crush on. She didn't like him, but she liked the song. So from that moment on, he knew he had an ability to entertain people and connect with them. He says that his songs are his journal entries. Historically, they've been self-referential, but more recently, they've become more fictional, many times borrowing from people and situations he observes. It all helps him process his life and the world around him. He wants it to be his career, to travel around the world singing his stories. But he says that if it all stopped, if his manager left him and no one booked him for shows anymore, he would still play music. Most likely, he'd be at an open mic around Anchorage. So here he is, Nick Carpenter. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum, dedicated to exploring Alaska and the Circumpolar North through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past, present, and future. My name is Cody Liska. 
and I'll be your host. You know, I wanted to congratulate you and also thank you for the recent episode of Vice's show, Munchies, that you hosted. I think you did a great job at representing Anchorage, man. Oh, thank you so much. That was so fun. How much thought or preparation did you put into showing an accurate representation of Anchorage? Um, well, I got reached out to them. They found me through Young, Young Kim. Um, you know, they reached out to Young, I guess, because they knew his film or his some of his photos or, or video work. And so they were like, hey, is there anybody you think would do well at sort of like getting drunk on camera and talking shit about <laughs> Anchorage? And he was like, yeah, actually... <laughs> got this buddy nick he's he i think he'd like that um and so they emailed me we had a little zoom call just to try and make sure i wasn't like a weirdo but then um they went and saw on my instagram the only like highlight i have on my medium build instagram page is me eating in anchorage it's like me at the burrito factory me at familia (laughs) me at the long branch like it's like just this thing i love to do and um and I love I love food. I go in my in college, my goal was to eat at every Mexican restaurant in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, um, in the five years I was there. And uh, they kept opening new ones. It was very <laughs> difficult. Um, but all that to say, they pitched me like their version of it. They're like, "Hey, we did some research online. We asked some friends, and they wanted to do a pretty standard. They were like, we want to go, like, they wanted to do F Street, Moose's Tooth." Um, you know, or like 49th or like not bad places, just lovely places. But like, yeah. I was like, Hey man, I was like, some of that stuff's pretty well-worn road as for the Anchorage food blogger. Um, it'd be cool if we could do some different stuff. So then I pitched them. I spent like, I don't know, three hours on this email and I, I pitched this like giant list of all the places that are really special to me. And then they kind of took a hacksaw at it and were like, okay, well, this place isn't open super late. So that kind of disqualifies it. Or this place is more of a family place or, mm-hmm. or some places they reached out to, they said, no, like a couple of my top picks, um, declined to be filmed. Really? So, uh, yeah. So what the, the episode that shook out was just like kind of just poetic and perfect and a mixture of like who, who wanted to work hard and who wanted to work on it and be, be malleable. And, um, Mm -hmm. so not a lot of, I I don't think a lot of my mental planning was trying to have the episode be perfect or it's for it to completely represent Anchorage, but it just is what it is. Right. It's like, which is so Alaskan, right? It's like, well, who showed up that day? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I even liked how the weather was overcast in the video, you know, full on Anchorage weather. Oh, it was perfect. Yeah. And they wanted it to be like, they, they, in their pitch of it, they reached out to us in July and then we shot end of August. So in their pitch, they were like, yeah, we really want to have like manic summertime vibe. And I was like, you're shooting this end of August. Like that's not manic summertime. That's cold (laughs) piss rain. Like, and it was exactly that. And I was so glad that that's what they got. Yeah. That's, that's Anchorage weather. You know, I, um, no matter where I, I live, I moved to outside of Alaska. Those are like, that's my comfort weather, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Something about the video that I really loved was watching you interact with your parents. You know, it looks like you all get along pretty well. Do you have a pretty good relationship with them? 
totally. Yeah. I don't think you can fake that level of, uh, intimacy. You know, um, my parents and I are very different. Uh, we grew up super conservative Christian. They were both were missionaries. My mom's dad was a missionary. Um, my parents lived overseas and then they went into like church planting and, and stuff all throughout the Southeast and Midwest when I was, before I was born. And then, um, my dad kind of got burnt out on the church thing and not the, the religion aspect, but the working in the church. And so he switched into like business and stuff, but we grew up really, you know, pretty strict moral value household. And, um, uh, my brother and I have basically spent the past 35 years like undoing that hmm, okay. and trying to figure out who we are without that lens. And so, you know, my parents and I, like, we actually have this relationship based in a lot of honesty because we don't really see the the world the same way. And so I feel like, and we're not, like, they're not, they have no money. Like they, you know, they came from nothing and they always just leaned on God to provide rent. So they just, I mean, they never bought anything. They, they live a very humble life. And like, I think maybe if there was more, more money, we'd be squabbling, but because we, none of us have anything and none of us have anything to like defend, we just kind of love each other and see each other on this, um, maybe more like eye level lens. And, yeah. um, it helps me humanizing them. And I think it helps them to humanize uh, my brother and I, you know, who don't vote like them or don't, uh, go to church or believe things that they believe and, um, don't live lifestyles that they think that they thought they were, you know, priming their children for. And mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine what that feels like on their end, you know, but I know what, how I feel as a kid, you know, thinking about they, they don't get me, but we try really hard to connect on food and music and, um, you know, spent time, time spent playing video, like, or not like board games and card games and cooking and yeah, all the bullshit that doesn't really require a deep, uh, <laughs> a deep agreement of, uh, you know, spiritual <laughs> or political beliefs. Yeah, for sure. Do you think that when money is involved in relationships, it, it turns it a different way? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, fuck, man, I can't believe I'm already getting into this, but I, um, I think my parents, if they had money, maybe would have broken up like in the nineties, if or in the, you know, like during their harder times of marriage, like when they were, you know, stressed about money and stressed about jobs and all that stuff. Like when a couple really goes through the ringer, like if you had the security of saying, I don't need you, mm. then I think you can f like buzz off. You know, I think that my parents stayed together because they were like, no, we need to, we are two are better than one. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I think now we're in this situation where my brother and I living up here and then them following us and being up here, like we are stronger as a unit than we are separated and not talking. Um, mm -hmm. you know, my, my dad actually fell this week and like tore his knee in like four different ways. And so oh. I asked my mom, I was like, what can I do for you this week? And she was like, come get our laundry. Mm -hmm. So like, that's, you know, and that's something I can do easily. And, you know, it's never, I've never done my parents' laundry before, but now, now I'm about to, you know, so that, that's just like, <laughs> that's one way that, way that keeps us connected. Right. Cause again, yeah. if they were rich and they had a housekeeper, they'd be like, oh my God, you know, Jackie's going to do that on Thursday. Don't worry about it. You know, like there's like this yeah. level of need that facilitates intimacy. And I think our, 
uh, money always being right outside of our grasp <laughs> yeah. has lent us to uh, sort of have to be friends. And do you think staying together, you know, I'm talking about your parents here, staying together throughout like those difficult moments or those difficult situations without money, did that make them stronger? Oh yeah, 100%, 100%. I mean, they're 72 years old now, like, and now I look around my friends and a lot of my friends have divorced parents and maybe they have new people, but like, you don't want to be alone when you're 70. Like, you know, you know, you got, you know, maybe 10 to 20 years left. Like, it's nice to have a homie. It's nice to have someone that, you know, gets up and, and cooks food with you and, you know, helps feed the cat. Like it's, it's companionship and maybe it's not the hallmark thing we always dream of it to be, but I think there's something about staying together. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm a terrible example. I've never had anything last over two or three years, but I'm working on it. And I, you know, I admire them, even though I have my, my long list of resentments and, you know, I'm actually trying to like, write like a, like a TV treatment, like about my dad in the nineties, like hmm. thinking about what it would be like to tell his story through his lens. Like a guy who's just like stressed, trying to make money, trying to make sure everything in his life goes well. And so I don't know, man, it's, I, I admire them and I, I look up to them and, uh, I don't know, money, I'm kind of scared of money in that way. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. I wonder, you know, when you became scared of money in that way, like what, really turn you on to that oh man that's an old that's an old feeling as my therapist always asks you know whenever i bring up a stress or something she's like how old is that feeling that's a i mean i noticed my parents obsession fear paranoia upset like um shame all their all the stuff they had tied to money like i just noticed that stuff at an early age like oh my gosh we got a bunch of money so things are going good this week mm -hmm. or oh money's lean so stuff's bad, you know, or, Hey, we, you know, we're going to have some, we're going to do this. And if I do this deal, then money's coming in. And, um, and then the families at church that we socialized with, like we, I knew as like an eight year old, like who the richest family at my church was, was mm -hmm. that because my dad was like, that's the richest guy at church. Or was it because I just like noticed how people treated them and obviously wh what house they lived in and what they drove and, all these sort of signals of affluence, like that, I just noticed that. I mean, I mm -hmm. had a, just, yes. And then you, you know what you have and you know what you don't have. And then um, you start taking note of your friends at school and church and you're like, oh, okay. There's, there's layers to this. Yeah. Yeah. So at a certain point where you just like, screw money, I'm going to live my life. <laughs> I wish I, I wish that I could say that I felt that truly, okay. but I don't, I don't know if I've ever been able to sink into that. Um, you know, I think I chose music over being an accountant, but like, I probably wouldn't have never been a good accountant. I think I took some classes in college and I was like, oh, this ain't me. Like, I really thought I could get off the music thing and like, go get like a proper day job in a bag and be like a functional member of society. But I mean, the only thing I've ever really been good at is waiting tables and singing and um you know think something like that feels natural and um and so yeah i i i would love to say yeah cody i, I totally ditched money and i'm <laughs> i'm so i'm on this pure artist path but i think truly i'm 
I, I have the same obsessions with money that my dad did. It's just uh, in different versions. And I have to, um, I have to scan myself constantly for why and when I want something. And what's the, what's the big motivation, right? Do I think it's going to fulfill me or do I, in, do I like having a thing or do I like, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm a huge, my like guilty pleasure is I love swiping like at the table for, you know, like yesterday, five of us are having lunch. I will sneak my card to the server. That's like my kink. It's like okay. my favorite thing in the world is like, I got this one. Um, to me, it's like this sign of we're all good. Your rela your relationship with me is not dependent on if you brought money. I love eating and sharing and drinking with people. Like that's my favorite shit in the world. So yeah. But sometimes I'll definitely be swiping when I shouldn't be like picking up a $200 <laughs> meal. Like when I'm like, uh, that's uh, kind of silly sometimes, but I'll do it. And then like all my homies are like, I, you know, my ones have been around for a while. They've started to learn. They're like, Jesus Christ, Nick, like, <laughs> fuck, like put your goddamn credit card away, you know? So, <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. You know, I've done that a few times and man, it feels good. Yeah. It's like hosting. It's like having people over. It's like um, DJing a party. It's, um, I don't know, you, you're facilitating a good time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, how do you think your parents' relationship has affected your understanding of relationships? Hmm. That's a great question. I, I don't always scan their relationship or I don't stand it as often now. Um, but I think probably as, as a child, it was deeply informative. Um, my mom is a very devoted sort of classic, uh, you know, born in 1951 sort of archetype of the, the, the woman, the mom, the, the provider, like they're the caretaker, you know? And I think, um, mm -hmm. my dad was again, the other version, the working from, you know, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and coming home and eating his dinner kind of in silence and maybe, you know, rifling off a couple jokes, but mm -hmm. pretty much coming home, eating, and then like kind of going into his like tune out phase, you know, turning the TV on, drinking a glass of wine, like decompressing. And um, so for me, I just always spent all my time with my mom and, uh, <laughs> and I'm definitely her in relationships. I'm definitely... I want to anticipate needs. I want mm -hmm. to um, uh, make sure everyone feels super good and safe. And like, just, uh, I just love to dote on people, right? That's my mom, you know, she's always feeding people, always clothing people, always, hey, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And so I've kind of fallen into that in like relationships and in friendships. And I've kind of had to um, deconstruct why I want everyone to feel so safe and why I want everyone to love me and need me, you know, cause I'm like, well, what's the, why, why was my mom doing this? Like, okay, she wanted to make sure everyone was happy. It's like, well, what, mm -hmm. what is, what the egg of that is like, what, what if not everybody's happy? Is that okay? Like, and so for, I would say probably my first 10 years of relationships, I was always just need me, you know, I wanted to be the big caretaker and um, it wasn't until probably this, I got therapy in COVID and I met Grace and Grace and I both are kind of coming at it with older lenses. You know, we met when we were 30. So we're like, what if we just existed Yeah. <laughs> and you, you know, we don't need each other too much. I, you know, I love you and I want to do things with you, but like, what if we took care of ourselves and then could like 
be companions, you know, and then yeah. that's kind of what I'm trying now. But I, I don't think I, yeah, I guess I didn't see that in my parents, I saw, but I see it now in them more now, you know, now that they're getting older and they don't have much to do. It is, they are just kind of homies. Yeah. Yeah. I'm noticing that with my parents now too, that, you know, me and all my brothers and my sister have moved out of the house. And, you know, I, I always had this feeling that my dad was a little like pissed at us, you know, yeah. or like jealous of, of the kids for taking, you know, so much of his wife's, you know, time. Mm. And it's so awesome to see them now, like really just in their own bubble, you know, and, and seeing like how happy they are and them getting back to like being a couple rather than parents, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so huge. The empty nesters, I think it really is you either connect or you just call it quits. Mm. And I mean, it's awesome to see them connecting, you know? Mm -hmm. You said that you're working on a treatment for a show about your dad. Can you give me a pitch for that show? Well, I, I wrote a song. Uh, I was just in LA writing songs and, um, I wrote this one song with this guy and I like the whole time we were writing this character of the song, it's about this guy who gets in a fight with his wife and he goes to like the local bar to kind of drink it off. And, um, he can't really tell her how much he cares. So he's writing her a letter. And, um, you know, I didn't realize, realize I didn't like sit down that morning that we were writing and be like, Hey, I want to write a tune about like my parents. But like, as we started writing the song about this, like, kind of emotionally stunted man i was like oh this is my dad like mm. this is my dad is like very flowery with the pen but like he may not tell you everything you know in okay. person like but if you give him a pen and a you know a bottle of wine and be like hey dump this into a you know an email he's he's a shredder on twitter you know he really <laughs> um so i uh yeah i just i played the song or, you know, I wrote the song, recorded it, sent it to a couple, like, you know, my manager and some close friends. And, like, I didn't think anyone was going to like it because it's kind of goofy and dark. And mm -hmm. um, and then a friend of mine was like, this sounds like it could be, like, a TV show. And I was like, well, what would that TV show be about? And I, I think it would be about my dad, like, in the 90s in Georgia, like, just doing every job under the sun. There was an era where he lost his job and he filed for bankruptcy. And then he, in one week, he had three jobs. He was checking water meters. He was delivering Chinese food and he was selling, um, VCRs and VHSs or VCRs and TV setups, like at a Sears. And, um, like I, I kind of want to write like a, you know, a sort sort of, you know, 10 episode, like dark comedy, maybe like 25 minute episodes, like kind of in the vein of like Barry or like, okay. Yeah. Um, or maybe like have a, a little bit of a Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul vibe to it, where it's like just these desperate characters, like it, it kind of like put in that class, like have it be a criticism of like class identity and like why mm -hmm. my dad thought he needed to work himself to death to like be somebody mm -hmm. because he wanted to drive a Lincoln and he wanted to wear Lacoste and Polo and he, all these things that he thought was were like a man and like yeah. what... And then the fucked up things that he gave me about manliness, you know, like who gave him his versions, sort of like deconstruct like male class. And like my dad grew up like on a 
dirt farm in South Carolina. Like his mom, third grade education, like nobody. And he started working. He was like 12. So like mm, he okay. had no clue. He just invented it. He saw somebody driving by in a Lincoln wearing loafers and was like, yep, that's it. Yeah. You know? So then he chased that. Um, and this is all, this is in my head, but I, I, I spent like an hour this morning kind of like brainstorming and watching, watching a bunch of like, uh, pilot. I, I go in YouTube deep rabbit holes and I was researching how to, how to shape a pilot and sort of the, the rules and like what you need to have in something to really proof, proof of concept. So yeah, it's fresh. This is crazy. You're, you, we dug into this. I'm <laughs> it's right on my head. This is amazing. Did you learn anything? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I, I actually took a picture. I'll pull it up here. Um, I watched a, a couple of videos. I watched a video on like satire, um, which, um, was pretty helpful. Um, trying to see like how, you know, basically they said, if you want to do a satire, you have to pick a target. Yeah. And, um, I think for me it would have to be class, right. Mm -hmm. Or like m masculinity through like the a lens of masculinity through class. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this one, they said, uh, you know, a pilot or whatever, even if it's just a movie has to start with somebody ends their old life begins a new one and then the end of the pilot the pilot ends with a question right so like you know it's, it's say let's say based on the song i wrote like you know my parents are fighting my dad goes down to the bar to kind of blow off some steam and then he gets to decide right like does he want to go home and be a good dude does he want to keep working like does he want to drink less like i don't know i think that's a lot of relationships is like yeah do i want to be do I want to be, does I want this to be easy or do I want to try? And, and I think, I mean, maybe the character, I think the character probably sucks. Like he's not that he sucks, but he's just like, he's just so obsessed with catching up, keeping up with mm -hmm. the Joneses energy Yeah, that he can't, he doesn't see the pain he's causing his wife or he doesn't see that he hasn't called his brother in years, you know, like, cause he's just like, man, I'm, I'm grinding, I'm grinding, I'm grinding, I'm grinding. And like that whole grind till we die culture and it's all sponsored by like Budweiser and fucking sports. Like, yeah, you know, it's like, Oh, like men can cry at basketball games, but they would never like tell their wife, like, I, I, I love you and I need you like to their face, you know? It's like, mm -hmm. what is that guy? Like, what is he thinking about? What is he stressed about? What is he eating? You know, like, yeah, I would love that character to just be always in his, my dad was always eating in the car. That was always <laughs> driving and eating like my whole life. It'd be like, he'd take, my mom would have to be busy or something. And he'd be like, Oh, John, you got to take Nick to school. So I'd be in the car with my dad. He'd have like a bowl of oatmeal, a cup of coffee, two like sausage links. And he's like <laughs> chopping them up, like in driving a stick shift and like get, get the fuck out of the car. Like I got to go, I'm late for work. And so I love the concept of like kind of creating this sort of better call Saul Barry type character that's just like so middle class, like wants to be upper class, like wants to break out, wants to be the the CEO, but he's like the grunt. Yeah. Or maybe he's working construction, but he wants to be, you know, the head guy, like um, and then just put a bunch of like southern class shit in there, like have the his character, you know, his the wife be like just a Jesus freak, like church lady and like they all they get caught up in pyramid schemes which with my parents got caught up in like four or five pyramid schemes when i was a kid oh dang okay so um i thought 
you know, just a way, like what a crazy world that I have a little bit of a lens into and can kind of yeah. like criticize like our obsession with money. And I don't know, have you, have you watched White Lotus? I have, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I definitely was inspired by, you know, that first season. Like I kind of see like my, the dad character kind of like as an Armand character. Okay, yeah. Kind of like uh, just wants to get it right. And like that scene in the, in the finale where Armand is like doing his, dinner service and he's just nailing it and he's just so excited to serve people like yeah what is that what is that relationship we're like i've been that i used to work at whole foods in atlanta and nashville and i i was like 19 with no money mm -hmm. and i would i delighted in like making these rich people smile like by making a joke you know they'd come in they'd buy a thousand dollars worth of wine and i'd be like Oh, like just a couple of folks over tonight, huh? You know, like, and they'd be like, oh, ha, 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 you're so <laughs> charming. And I'd be like, oh my God, I made people who don't live like me smile. Like there's this obsession that maybe if I can be with them and I can be them, you know, trade places. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something I keep thinking of is with this show, why do you think you'd like to make it? Do you think that you'd like to make it because you know, it's putting your story out there and it's helping maybe, you know, you feel more seen, you know, you feel like your story is, is more seen or is it to help other people maybe feel more seen? Hmm. I think at the egg, you know, the root of most of the shit I do is probably for myself to process. Okay. I think that's why I started writing songs. Um, and I feel like uh, songs and TV and film are just stories, right? So it's all storytelling. Yeah. I've never tried to write a TV show or a movie or, or make anything like that. I've always been obsessed with film and TV. I was like, definitely wanted to be an actor as a, as a kid. And um, this just feels like a new way to sort of open that up and, and a, uh, in a way where I can do a, maybe a lot of healing internally, but also like um, try a new arena, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I can tell a story in three minutes pretty well. I'm, I'm getting good at that. I've been doing that for like 10, 15 years. Like now I'm finally feel like I'm getting kind of, maybe it's like that whole obsession of like, I, I, need, I need a new thing to be bad at, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> maybe like trying to write this or, you know, trying to create for, for picture, could be this new sort of challenge like how do you how do you tell a story and i mean we're just in the golden age of tv right now it's like yeah tv's so good so like, good uh, yeah and i you know like atlanta or dave or yeah. just yeah. these sort of shows that like are dark but funny but like heart pulling heartstring pulling and like i don't know i'm i don't know who it serves i, I definitely would be a little bit to like catharsis for me but then a little bit of like maybe i get to tell some of my upbringing and find people who kind of grew up similarly every mm -hmm. time i go deep about like my church upbringing people come out of the woodwork and are like yo i felt that so i wonder if i could be a little bit more broad and talk about class like if if people might be like yo my my parents too like because i think everyone's kind of obsessed with money in some way i know we're most some people are kind of immune to it and maybe not exactly like the way m my family was, but we all have a relationship with it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of big enough to, um, maybe if you didn't grow up just like me, you could still connect. Yeah. I've been finding 
these shows, you know, you mentioned Atlanta, you mentioned Dave and there, there's this like really dark humor undercurrent and there's a lot of these shows now and they're generally like newer or new ish shows. And I keep thinking like, what is, what does it say about us that at least, you know, speaking from, I guess, a millennial perspective, what does it say about us that these, these shows are like really connecting with us, you know? Hmm. I think, I think it's that we were tired of the after school special. Hmm. I think, the fact that like friends and then how i met your mother and then parks and rec they they all kind of get tied up you know like even in when they get dark like it all pretty much works out and then yeah and then we had this new era of like breaking bad and mad men and we're like oh maybe the characters aren't all good you know and then you have like an like a white lotus or it's always sunny or an arrested development and you're like none of these characters are good like not a single person <laughs> in this in this room is good like I, I shouldn't cheer for anyone here yeah but then you pick you find yourself cheering for someone so i feel like the daves the atlantas the the berries the um I mean, there's more like the, the bear yeah um like where it's like oh these people are complicated and they're a little bit hard on sleeve and they're a little bit fucked up jaded and i'm cheering for uh, just fate to, to run its course like you just you don't know you're like should i should if, if if this person gets what they want they actually might abuse the character that they're best friends with like mm -hmm. you know and, and it, i think it just highlights how complicated human existence is and i think we're all craving more um more um like sort of muted commentary a little bit more a little more subtle more um uh, emotionally intelligent commentary on like society and friendship and social groups. Mm -hmm. Cause we just, you know, we're getting smarter and sharper and our, we get our wit is, you know, the digital conversation just makes everything speed up. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if you, you go back and watch like some of those shows that maybe you watched as a kid. Like I, I was obsessed with the Simpsons and, um, Seinfeld and friends and like, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of them are still great and the, the writing is so good, but don't you wish that there was a conversation where like Jerry could like tell George, like, Hey, like you, you're living a lot. Like we know <laughs> like George is just a liar. Like yeah, he, he lives in his own head. Like he's so full <laughs> of shit. And like, imagine a dark version of Seinfeld, like where someone just tells George, like, dude, you're, you're full of shit. None of us yeah. like you, like you're the heel, <laughs> you know, it's, I don't know. Could he handle that? Right. Yeah. Could, and, and what would that look like in through our like millennial therapy, Instagram, TikTok lens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, there's that line. There's that line in Seinfeld where George goes, it's not a lie if you believe it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I think that they were, they were touching on it. You know, they, they were doing some commentary but in like the 90s sitcom way yes yes that's that's true it, it would be unfair of us to be able to just shred larry david and say that he wasn't trying to play with the format that was the time i mean you know david lynch had to sneak twin peaks onto onto primetime yeah you know it's like how did he do that david david larry david had to sneak seinfeld into primetime 
So it's like, yes, this is a funny show, but he's making these big, big sort of jabs at society that he later got to like double down on with Curb. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. You're right. I think we're we're just ready for that. No, we're just all ready for that stuff now. And I think that that people have been doing it for a long time. You know, I'm a really big fan of the original Twilight Zone, Rod Serling. Mm. And he had to mask these social issues with like aliens and stuff to yeah. be able to get it on television in the 60s, you know, because that stuff would have been thrown out immediately. Yeah. Yeah, that show is amazing. Yeah, we need we need media to poke at us. And I have used songwriting for that and I think now I'm like, well people are way more drawn to TV shows than they are songs. I mean, songs are easy, but they're easy to tune out. Like you can't ignore a TV show. So that feels like this new tool that I could use to poke at stuff. Um, so I mean like Black Mirror is so incredible. Like yeah. it's, the, it's like the modern uh, Twilight Zone. It's just like, look at us. Look at how we are. This is how we are. <laughs> yeah. Earlier you said that you've spent time on doing your Christian upbringing. What does that look like? Um, well, you know, at 1920, it looked like stopping going to church and stop leading worship at church and be like, okay, what does this mean to me if I don't work, if I'm not involved, like in the staff, in the thing, you know? And so then it was like, trying to figure out if I believed it or not. And then it was like, okay, maybe I have doubts about that. Like, who am I as a person? If I'm not, you know, I used to think every morning, like, oh, how can I best glorify, you know, God and Christ? And like, so to like sort of basically wash my brain, like on, like try to hit a, find a hard reset, try to find my like blank slate. Like, who am I without that um, dogma? And who am I without anybody's dogma? And, um, I think uh, for a while I was really bitter and I just, you know, angry and uh, hurt and confused because when I left, a bunch of people were like, oh, we, you're lost, bro. And then, mm. um, and I, I hurt because I was like, I don't feel like I'm lost. I feel like I'm speaking up. Um, and it felt weird to be sort of alienated for that. But now I just see it as like part of my history, man. It's part of... yeah. You know, it's just a, it's a small trauma to bear, but I have a lot of perspective and I get to connect with kids on tour all the time who grew up like that. And um, I don't know, I don't think I'm as mad anymore. I think mainly I just look at it as like my parents trying their best and yeah, believe in something they thought they really, you know, I think they, they still believe it. And I think they, if you asked them like, hey, would you change anything about how you raise us? I don't think they would do much. I think maybe they'd avoid some some friend groups that they thought were really good, but, um, and were more petty and, and sort of performative, but I think they really tried. And, um, I don't think religion is the huge problem. I think, uh, greed and power and influence and yeah. <laughs> things that I have to deal with on my, on the, my new lens, you know, it's like, oh, well, I go play music in front of people and that's, you know, fucked up too. I have, you know, every day we hear about different bands and singers and, celebrities that abuse their power um you know whether that's money or sex or whatever mm -hmm. and so i saw that firsthand in the church when i was a kid like people abusing their power and manipulating people and so that was just like my first 
really experience with like, okay, there's some fucked up shit out here. And sometimes it's in the name of God and it's in the name of good and love. And, mm. and then you find out your favorite songwriter is a creep. And then you're like, well, what am I doing? I guess I gotta, I guess I gotta scan myself, you know, I gotta, I guess I gotta scan the shit I consume and I guess I gotta know people suck everywhere. So, you know, there's no, like, there's no, you know, people, I think a lot of the Christians when I leave left back in the day, like, well, what are you going to, you going to be an atheist? It's like, no, I don't, I don't know anything. I don't, I'm not <laughs> picking a new team. I don't actually want to be on a team. Yeah. It's like middle brother syndrome. I'm like, stop including me. You know, like, <laughs> just like, I'm not in this fight. Y'all can fight. I just don't want to participate. Do you think you found out who you are without religion? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's very similar to who I was with religion. It's uh, caring, loving, fun, funny. Like, I still love service. I obviously still love singing in front of people. You know, that didn't end. Like, mm -hmm. but I, I definitely think that's where I got the bug. You know, I was singing in, people at, in front of people at church since I was fourth grade. So, like, from eight to 19, I was, like, pretty much singing in front of a group every week, sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands of people. And so now I'm like, I'm 31 and I'm obsessed with going around the country and yelling at people every night. It's like, <laughs> I mean, it feels like a pipeline to a, an addiction. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't, I still, I just love people. And that's the, what they told me, like, love people. Everyone's good. Jesus loves everybody. And I was like, all right. So that's pretty much the sauce. I kind of still stand by. It's just not under the, um, there's no uh, call to the altar, you know, there's no, yeah. uh, for me, it's not for some riches. It's like just me trying to be decent. Yeah. So I can sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in that Munchies episode, you said that we need to take care of the things we have in Anchorage because it's not often that we get nice things. I know it was a joke, but was there also some truth to it? Oh, huge. That's not a joke. I mean, it's, it came across silly, Okay. but it's like, that's not a joke. Okay. No, like if you don't go to, like, if you don't go try the new restaurant in town, like five times, then you're like basically telling them to fuck off. You know, it's like, mm, okay. even if they suck, it's like, keep trying if they might be having a hard time or maybe they, you know, maybe they're an idiot. Like there's some, definitely some places in town I think suck and should go away, but, um, we won't, I won't do that here. Um, but no, I, I mean, don't, don't you, would you agree with that? It's like Anchorage is like, we have such this chip, a chip on our shoulder because we're, you know, we're separated and we're a part of the States, but we're not. And we're like part of Seattle, but we're not. And we're, you know, but we're also like, we, we get shit on by Fairbanks and Juneau and people mm -hmm. that live like in the interior, like, oh, lost Anchorage and oh, look, all those liberals and they couldn't, you know, can't do anything down there. And like, so we, we start the whole thing from this sort of chip on our shoulder, have to prove something. And um, I think we are so happy as Alaskans to have anything that pretty much you don't ask. I was telling someone this um, last week in LA. So they were like, what's why, why are you in Alaska? Like, what's the vibe? Like why, what's cool about it? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, you can do anything you want. I was like, imagine being able to just like, become a, a regular at a bar and then asking the bar if you can play your favorite movie there like day of like like that's anchorage like yeah. back in the day I, I could literally just like be like call up the manager of the taproot and be like hey 
we want to, uh, you know, we want to show Jim Carrey freaking, uh, you know, Ace Ventura tonight. Like, and we're going to play music behind it and the music, the movie will be on mute. Like they would have been like, all right, whatever. That's weird as fuck. Sure. Go ahead. Like, <laughs> you know, that's, that's community. It's small town. Yeah. And I think because of that, you have a lot of acceptance of, of oddities, but you also have this super, uh, this, this giant norm core, we don't dry new things, right? So that's why we have 87 pizza places and burger places, but we don't have a great vegan spot. You know, we've got this new one that just opened and like, I mean, Jesus, they're trying, but it's like, you know, they're not getting a lot of traffic. And so how do we get nice things up here if we don't, if we're going to keep going to Moose's Tooth and freaking Spernard Roadhouse? Like, again, no shade. Like I'm, uh, these institutions are valuable. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Wild Scoops was an upstart in that I'm cheering for them. Now, I mean, now they're they're going to be the next Moose's Tooth. I mean, we're going to be like Wild Scoops will own half of Anchorage, I think, in 50 years, like because they're just so good and they try hard. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, a lot of people that try hard get frustrated when it doesn't like take off and they go somewhere else. And that's why all of our brethren are in. Seattle, you know, or, you know, if you're creative, you leave, you're a cool tattoo artist, people leave like, and you know, I'm not even fully from Alaska. I've just been here off and on for the past 10 years. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I probably won't live here for the entirety of my music career, but I'll always have a foot here and it's hard. It is hard to be here and try nice things. And I, I look at myself as that I look at, you know, Portugal, I look at, you know, Anchorage brewing and like when people want to do kind of stuff that isn't the norm here people are like oh that's expensive or oh that's weird or well i'm just gonna go where i know where it's good you know and um so yeah maybe it's a joke but it's totally i mean honest commentary i'm curious your thoughts on that my thoughts on on um we need to take care of the things that we want right yeah i think that Alaskans are, and I've said this before, either in the podcast or articles that I've written, that Alaska for the population that is not Alaska native um, are either escapists or they were born there. So escapists, you know, existentially or, um, or just like actually in reality. So I think that everybody is kind of doing their own thing for the most part. And not all of the time do certain institutions like restaurants fall in line with that, you know, because people are going out hunting and then they're making dinner at home. For example, like growing up in Anchorage, I didn't really eat out that much. You know, we got fast food when we were busy, but we were like a hunting family and we, we hunted and we got our own meat and uh, my dad's a really good cook and my mom's a really good cook. And so they cooked food, you know, like when we went to, when we go out, it'd be like lucky wishbone, you know, and we loved it, but it was never like, or brew house. We'd go to brew house, but that was like the fanciest place that we'd really go to. That is such a good read on that. That's such a real read on that. Yeah. And, and something that's kind of, I'm ignorant to, you know, so it's like, um, 
I think we're also a, a comfort craving uh, group, right? If you if you have been out hunting for ten days with your dad and you you completely soaking wet, it's just been a gross August hunt, and you you know you process your moose and you got a freezer in the garage full of good meat, and when you do leave the house to go get something, you want to get something you kind of know what it's going to be like, mm -hmm. right? Something comfortable, something, and you also you don't want to break the bank, right? So Lucky Wishbone is makes total sense. Lucky Wishbone is that exact, you know, or uh, Arctic Roadrunner on yeah. Old Sewer. It's like, yeah. you're going to go and you're going to get that same burger or that same chicken sandwich, and you know what the fries are going to be, and you know how fast it's going to take, and you know yep. how much you're going to pay. And why would you go try some taco stand that some kid started? You know what I mean? It'd just be weird. You mention comfort, you know, that is, um, at least in my experience, that's always kind of the mark of a, a cold state or a cold city. You know, mm -hmm. you, you want these creature comforts, you want to just get something familiar. I think that, um, maybe it gets back to like, you know, humans eventually becoming sedentary and then being comfortable in that sedentariness. And I think that yeah. even though Alaska, maybe Anchorage in specific, you know, it's a city, it's an American city with people in it and businesses and franchises and all of the makings of American city. But at the same time, and I'm just speaking from, you know, my own perspective is, yeah. I just want to get like Arctic Roadrunner, you know, or Moose's Tooth and get it to go and go back up to my house. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and then that's, yeah, exactly a lens that I'm ignorant of because of my, my upbringing in this, in, in the city of Atlanta, eating out to me was a class thing and we didn't do it very often. And so when I, turned 18 and I could work for, you know, I had my own job and I paid my own bills and paid my own rent. My personality was eating out, mm -hmm. you know, and it has really been that for a long time is like, I want to know where you can get a good meal. Um, we didn't, we had home cooked meals all the time, but it was never something I thought was elevated or maybe I just felt stuck in my own house, you know, for, so for me, it getting, going out to, to dinner is an escape. Mm -hmm. Um, um, and then if you're already someone who moved here because you were looking for an escape, then yeah, finding the dirtiest dive bar in Anchorage is like, that's my, my mission, right? Yeah. It's like, how, how can I find the, the most, the, the darkest escape in the escape land with all the escapists? Like, and then you are coming at it with this lens of like this lovely family that cooks and eats what they kill and to go get, spend your money is to like to just go participate in the city and you don't need to do it that often. And then you, yeah, to go pick up a chicken bacon ranch and go home is like, you did it. You did the thing. You went to yeah. town, you got the pizza <laughs> and now you're at home with people you love and you feel really good and comfortable. And like, um, no, I, such a beautiful reframe, uh, Cody. I appreciate that. But yeah, I think that's a, a lens that, um, I, had to process when I moved here is like, cause I moved here in 09 when I was 18, I worked the Moose's Tooth and then I moved back for a couple of years. And when I moved back up to Anchorage, 
it was 2016 and I got a job at hearth mm-hmm. and, um, and also like, because that's my whole livelihood is working in, in restaurants. So it's like this thing I am obsessed with and I, it, it is very class uh, oriented to me and, you know, my dad saw going out to eat as the, the thing that rich people could do afford to do. And okay. so when he got a new job in high school, then like we went, it went from one night to two nights a week. And I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Like not only are we going on Sunday after church, but we now he's going to take us out on Friday night too. Yeah. And, um, so seeing, but seeing Anchorage's relationship with hearth, like watching it as a new restaurant and then seeing like restaurants pop, pop up and go away. Like, it's just interesting to see like what Alaskans care about and then, or, you know, seeing like institutions go away in COVID. Like we lost, um, uh, Granny B's, the diner on Tudor. That was my just absolute favorite little hole in the wall. It was a brunch spot from seven to three and it's cash only. And they had a bunch of Iditarod swag on the wall and it's because of the COVID regulations. And I think some ownership just didn't want to keep trying, but they, they went under and I, you know, I feel like maybe it, I kind of thought Anchorage would rally hard to make that like not happen. Like, I feel like Anchorage would save, like Anchorage would save Gwenny's. I mm. think Anchorage would save Lucky Wishbone. I was like, Granny B's to me feels as important. Um, but you know, I don't know. That's yeah. I just, I love that. I love kind of zooming out and seeing the ways that I, that I very much don't know Alaska, even if, even if I've been here, you know, for 10 years cumulatively now, it's like still so much that you get as being a, a true childhood here. Like mm-hmm. my parents, they, we didn't go outside at all. <laughs> <laughs> very different. You know, Anchorage didn't say Fourth Avenue Theater. Oh, yeah. So that's an institution that, yeah. you know, um, that, we just kind of let go. And so, you know, I guess just to reframe this, I think that when it comes to personal liberties, you know, I think that we can always rely on Alaskans to, um, for Alaskans values to, to match up. But when it comes to things that maybe are, I don't know, like signs of capitalism, signs of things that people live in Alaska to get away from. I don't know if that's so easy to um, guess the outcome. Yeah. That's, that's such a good read on it, man. That's probably exactly the, somebody's probably saying that in an investment meeting right now, you know, like, <laughs> to some person who wants to start another crazy fusion restaurant. They're like, listen, listen, we don't know if that's going to go, you know, like, yeah. Uh, if you heard of this whiskey and ramen place that opened down on fourth. Yeah. Yeah. It looks great. It's murdering. I mean, it's like every night they're busy. They've got the guy who did cocktails up at the speakeasy from Willowa is over there. Um, so they've got a lot of good hands. They've got a chef that was used to be involved with Pangea. Mm-hmm. Pangea just closed. So mm, rip that place was good. Pangea. Yeah, it was. And yeah. then I guess the guy moved on. So, mm. um, it, it's like, yeah, you're right. It works downtown. I think people are down to like kind of cosplay as Seattleites downtown. But if you wanted to put whiskey and ramen, maybe on diamond, I think maybe people would be like, nah. 
nah, we're good. Mm, you know, if you okay. tried to put it, I don't know. I, I want to open up a, a bar on the east side. I live on the east side and I, I want to open up a wine bar, uh, like just at the corner of Tudor and Patterson or something like in that shopping center next to the Kaladi. Like, yeah, just a little dingy, cool music. Maybe someone's like always spinning vinyl in the corner and you just like, I don't know, 30 or 40 different wines you haven't heard of. Like, and I pitched it to my friend. He's like, nobody would go there. I was like, <laughs> I was like, but maybe I was like, what if, you know, all the people that up at stuck, stuck again, hillside, like they, they deserve nice things. Like you don't think anyone wants to come on down for a, you know, a little funky natural wine. Like, yeah. it's like, no, no one's going to do that. I was like, and in, in your perspective is so fruitful. Cause yeah, it's like, we don't live in Seattle. We don't live in, you know, Denver or LA or Atlanta. We live in Anchorage and even Anchorage is a little bit too much for some people. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but then you go to the Valley and they got the freaking target and the Sonic. And mm -hmm. so it, it's funny. Cause I, I th think you're definitely core core belief is right. Like people don't really want to see some of those hallmarks, but then we just keep doing it. So mm -hmm. to me, I'm like, if we're already we're already colonizers, right? We've already ruined so much of this bullshit. Like mm -hmm. then I'm like, well, why wouldn't we have a great vegan place? Why wouldn't we have a great wine bar? Why wouldn't we have a, a, a tequila bar that isn't Moose's Tooth or Beartooth or Tequila 61? Like what do we have? Like, I don't know. Like what do, can we have more? Can we have, can we have more nice things? Like, and maybe that's me being greedy and I don't know. Do you think that your dad would go to that wine bar? That's a great question. That's a great question. No, he would, he, I, I could take him to it and he would love it, but he wouldn't go there by himself. He likes to drink Boda Box at home. Yeah. I always look at, you know, my parents and their generation and like, what, what would they do? Or maybe even like, what was the reason for them moving there to Alaska? Yeah. And I think that that, that at least like helps guide me in some, I don't know, semblance of an answer because I don't think that there, there's any one answer. Yeah. And I think you're right. And, but I think about those people's kids, you know, like mm -hmm. I think about the, I drove Uber for a while. Um, when right before COVID, like I just was in between stuff and it was a really good way for me to clear my head. And I met so many people, that I didn't think existed in Anchorage. Mm -hmm. Like really kind of people who treat Anchorage like city dwellers, like people who live in apartments, like people who I would pick them up from apartments and I take them downtown and they did downtown every weekend. And I would be people I didn't recognize. They weren't they weren't hanging in Spinar. They weren't at the Jangle Bees concert. They weren't at, you know, the bars I went to. They were just different people and they lived in Anchorage and they worked, you know, service jobs or tech jobs or IT jobs and they lived in apartments with roommates and friends and and their socializing was going out and being like a city person and they would take weekend trips to to you know Seattle to see a Seahawks game and I was like whoa like these are there are like non-crunchy people here and I don't know how <laughs> they got here but we're not serving them by just giving them gaslight like mm. you know like we're if, if, if all they can go do is F Street and Gaslight and Pio like I'm like, those kids, I would love to give those people an alternative. And I think that's why whiskey and ramen's killing it. 
but I, you know, maybe I would have to put a wine bar downtown, but I don't, I don't, I don't live downtown. I used to, but I like, it's not where I hang out. And so I'm like, okay, re, who's in my neighborhood? What do they like to do? I mean, it's a lot of like young families over here. Probably they wouldn't be at the wine bar either. So then I'm like, well, okay, who, are <laughs> yeah, you have to zoom out and be like, what, who am I? What the fuck is me? Do I think? And why do I think that? And then is this just a, you know, pipe dream that serves me? That's why I'm a storyteller, I guess, and not an uh, entrepreneur. <laughs> I'm better at navel gazing about my own upbringing than I am about <laughs> thinking what a, a, a 300,000 person city needs. How do you think Anchorage or maybe Alaska in general influences your music? Oh uh, man, Anchorage is so colorful. Um, and I mean that in every way, it's just like, there's so much character here. There's so much grit. There's so much, uh, humor. Um, I've done the thing recently of just trying to put like a ton of Alaska references in my songs. Like, um, so there's a couple of new songs coming out on this. We got an EP coming out January 25th. And mm -hmm. I think one song has the taproot in it, uh, by name. Another song has, um, um, Asia garden in it. And I say the old Seward highway. Um, um, another one I wrote a couple, it's not on the CP, but last year it's got the buckaroo in it. Like uh, I wrote a new song in LA where I talk about going to the timeout lounge. Like, so for me, Again, maybe that's my city kid lens, but I, I'm obsessed with brick and mortar places, right? So like bars, a hand painted sign, a warm stool, like you know, a leather covered seat, like yeah. A, I am obsessed with these places, these haunts, these where all these working people, and maybe they came up for a slope job, and now they're, you know, now they're a family, and mm -hmm. they don't they dream about going back to Michigan, but they live here and and this is where they go and drink to blow off steam like i'm obsessed with these tales and um i don't know if it fully informs everything i i, I say but it's it, it will show up in my writing i think in perpetuity now because of my time and and where i've spent my time and just how unassuming this place is it wasn't made to be adored you know it was made to be functional so that people could get to work um, the mountains are adored, you know, the, yeah. the, the weather is feared and adored, but you know, all, all these shopping centers and these duplexes are not, they're not adored. They're just for survival. Downtown isn't 
cute. I mean, it's, you could say cute, but it's not, it's not beautiful. <laughs> I love ninth. I love the park strip. I love that, that view that, uh, you know, that classic view for, of Anchorage where it looks very beautiful. Um, yeah. but you know, when you're really in Anchorage, it's like, oh, this is another, it's like that keep Anchorage beige campaign. It's like, oh, this is a, <laughs> this is a giant building and it's four people are using it because it's cheaper than having four different restaurants. Like we're all going to be in the same building. Yeah. Yeah. It's very utilitarian. Yeah. Where does the name medium build come from? Um, I, uh, I was at a art exhibit with a date and, um, it was an experiment about memory, um, on like how much love informs our memory. And, uh, so you would describe your first love to this FBI sketch artist and then he would paint them or draw them. And then, um, they'd show you the picture and be like, oh, that's not at all what my, you know, high school girlfriend that broke my heart looks like. I must be <laughs> dreaming that she's more beautiful because of my memory, you know? And so it was just like fun little experiment. And, uh, you know, my date was trying to be coy and cutie and flirty with me on the way home. And I completely misread the situation. She was like, how would you describe me, the FBI sketch artist? And I was like, oh, um, you know, like, Brown hair, brown eyes, medium build, like um, rosy <laughs> cheeks, blah, 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 you know, like um, really sweet. She was like, medium build? <laughs> well, you, you'd put that in the top three? Like you'd start with medium build? And I was like, I don't, what do you mean? Like, I don't know. I don't, what am I supposed to say? Like chesty or like, I don't know. Like that's how my mom always described herself. Like that's like, my mom has all those weird boomer phrases like, if you know when she was trying to tell me not to hook up with people she was like i don't want any heavy petting you know i don't want any you know she's like she has all these weird she would describe herself as chesty and i was like that's so fucked i'm your, I'm your kid i'm right here i don't want to hear that so i thought i was being polite to this person who you know was very adorable and i was very much in love with and it was just hilarious we, we dated for like four years um it ended up not working out but uh, yeah she came home and told my roommates that i called her medium build and then uh they they turned that on her and started calling her medium build and then when i eventually started making songs for myself that i didn't think they would go anywhere because that was the whole goal was just to record demos for myself i thought of a very fitting name to be called medium build and i mean it fits i'm i mean i'm, I'm six feet 220 pounds i'm just a real mid just a thing you know <laughs> what would large build look like oh man my drummer greg geddes six six two fifty just all muscle that's that's craig he's large build yeah maybe he's xl build maybe i'm large build okay he's he's big build my friend told me they were going to open up like a a medium build cover band uh, but it was all gonna be like heavy, like more metal, and they were gonna call themselves Heavy Set. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. When you're on tour, do you have any routines you keep to, maybe with food or exercise? Absolutely, yeah, Cody. That's my favorite. That's how I stay sane. Okay. Um, um if. If we're doing good, you know, it's not every day you can, but if you can afford to stay at like a Holiday Inn or a whatever, Hampton Inn or Comfort Plus Suites or something, I, I, I will always pick like the cheapest thing that has a gym. Mm -hmm. And um, 
if the weather's good, I, I love to get out for a jog in, in a new city. That's like my favorite thing in the world is to get, get a jog in the city. I'll use the hotel gym if you can. And then if you're staying at your homie's house, then you're like, all right, I'm just going to do like push-ups and try to do some yoga and stuff. But I mean, nothing beats showing up to a new town and going like a long jog. I got one in Charleston. I was like stressed out after sound check and we had a couple hours. And so I just went on a run and remembered what humidity felt like and almost puked and was like, all right, well, I know a little bit more about Charleston and I'm now I'm ready to like sleep. Um, and <laughs> here's showtime. Um, but yeah, moving the body is so such a must because you spend, you know, six hours in the car and then you spend, you know, three hours setting up gear and doing all the crazy dumb chores and setting up your merch table and standing around and waiting and doing nothing and eating, eating eat my first tour. I just ate like an idiot. I just ate anything people recommended. And then I came home very sick and uh, bloated. And so now I'm pretty, pretty normal. I'm like, go to local coffee shop, get oatmeal, mm -hmm. um, you know, get a hot tea, uh, walk around, try to find a, a Whole Foods or something like that where I can get, uh, you know, anywhere I can get some kale or like some veggies. Um, like, and then at nighttime, like after the show, maybe I'll, okay, we can go like get something that might make me sick. Like, let's go get the best pizza in town. But starting that day with just some good food and body movement, it just keeps you from losing your mind and being an asshole, at least for me. This might be my own ignorance, but that doesn't seem like the diet of someone who works in the food industry. <laughs> no, you're right. Um, well, that's I, I said that in the Munchies video. I was like, this is not how I eat. You know, <laughs> yeah, I can't. You just can't eat like a meatball sub every night, and I I can't. I mean, again, let's let's be personal. I have like. I grew up with a really weird relationship with food and ate a lot and then lost a bunch of weight, did like a diet. And then I had like, you know, probably 10 years of like, who am I? What, if, depending on my size and blah, blah, blah. And for a while I was just like, I will just exercise so much. I can eat everything I want. Mm, okay. And I did that for a couple of years and that was fun. Uh, but that I never felt great. And then uh, in the past, like three or four years, like, my stomach has just completely kind of turned on me. And now a bunch of stuff I used to eat, like makes me sick. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a learned experience. Yeah. I'd say a lot of people that like my bass player or no, my, not my, or the keyboard player we took on tour, my best friend, Paul, he's a bartender in Nashville and he eats like what you would think. He eats like chicken tenders and fries and drinks like, you know, half a gallon of, like uh fernet every night and like he lives the life that you are picturing like the hard hearty eating a lot you know not eating all day like paul will go like 10 hours without eating and then he'll just eat everything like grilled cheese anything dipped in mayonnaise like just yeah that good stuff and i love to eat like that and i want to eat like that i just can't because you don't know where your next bathroom is. And <laughs> yeah. if you have like a really hearty institution, you know, then you can do that, but, or a constitution, but I, my, my constitution has completely failed me. And now I have the stomach of like a 80 year old woman. So <laughs> hence the oatmeal. Um, I mean, it's like literally like I won't order avocado toast now. I'll be like, actually, can I just get oatmeal and like an over easy egg on the side? Yeah. And like the servers are just like, okay. 
it's like <laughs> I like have piercings and tattoos, and I'm just like, yeah, sorry, can I get that? Can I get the side of fruit with like without any of the? I don't need any of the powdered sugar on. You know, it's just like yeah. don't put it near anywhere near oil. I can't have anything like anything fried fucks me up. So yeah. But what if I'm home? I always gain a little weight when I'm at home because Grace cooks pretty good and we do like going out and the portions are way too much. Like last night we went to this new um, Himalayan place that took over. It's called Everest. It took over the old uh, Turnigan barbecue. Okay. Um, right there on Old Seward and uh, 36th. And it was amazing, but we ordered too much and I like just could not stop eating. I was like, yes. <laughs> yes, I'm home. It was just like the comfort of being home. Anchorage is just so cozy to me and I still was eating you know but when i was in la the past two weeks i was like that's enough salad better go better jog (laughs) to my next you know co-write before i eat another salad and some lean chicken (laughs) you know i think that that's that's a um that's something that i think is really healthy right now where you have these creative people who are really focused on like their health and i'm not sure like how how prevalent it was, you know, like in our parents' generation or before that. And I'm sure, I'm sure there was like people, you know, that were doing it, that were being health conscious. But as far as like, let's just use musicians, you know, since you're a musician, you have that rock star mentality where you're going to drink all night. You're going to party all night. You're going to eat a cheeseburger, a burrito, and then you're going to wake up hungover and you're going to kill it at the show, you know? And there was like, that was cool. You know, people thought that was cool and to like not care and to just be able to kill it and not care about your body. Um, But then, you know, those people kind of fell off and, (laughs) and then you realize like, you can't be, you know, 40, 50, 60, like eating like crap and, you know, destroying your body with alcohol. And especially if you want to like, do this thing forever. You know, you want longevity. And so it's really nice to see people, you know, get sober and start eating healthy. Yeah. I, I, if the goal is longevity, right. I, I read an interview this year with uh, Bruce Springsteen, who's one of my, you know, faves and they were kind of asking him like, Hey, what do you eat these days? Like, which is such, so it seems so pedestrian, but like, I was like, yes, please, Bruce, tell me like, <laughs> and he, and he was like, yeah, I, I don't eat that much. He's like, truly, I just don't eat a lot. He's like, you know, I'm 70 years old. I, I like to go and, you know, jog a little bit. And like, I think he probably does a little punching bag routine. And I think he probably eats like, I don't know, like probably like my college girlfriend did like, like three bites a day, like of, of anything. I don't, Hmm. And and I read that and I was like, man, yeah. You talk about those rock stars that you know the burrito and the and the whiskey and like th- and those guys are dead. Those guys are dead, or they got sober right before they died. Right? It's like okay, yeah. You know, you think about like uh, like the Eagles. Like, what's the, the J- Joe Walsh? Like that guy doesn't look great. You know, like uh, or you think about like um, I don't know, like. Keith, Mo- like all the like the rock stars from like the seventies, like a lot of those people died. Or like I look at the, I I watch a lot of like, uh, I'm a huge like sixties, seventies country fan. So mm-hmm. anything I can get my hands on, it's got like pictures of Waylon or George Jones or Johnny Cash, and they always look so good. I'm like so mad. They always like tucked in, drunk as a skunk, smoking cigarettes, and like they never seem to have 
like a lot of weight gain. And then I found out they were all on uppers. They were all on speed. Mm, okay. They were literally just eating speed and, and doing like cocaine, like copious amounts. And I'm like, oh, okay. So they look fine, but then you, you that's a slippery slope. As soon as you like yeah. get off the, the uppers, then your body's like, oh, we need calories and we're going to keep every calorie we get. So yeah, I think when I, you know, I'm 31, I, I would like to sing and play shows probably for the next 40 years. Like, what does that look like? It doesn't look like partying. It doesn't look like doing a ton of, you know, weird bathroom drugs. It looks yeah. like <laughs> doing yoga with grace and, um, you know, breathing and drinking a ton of water. And yeah. now I feel like it's, you know, I see on celebrities, Instagrams, like they're doing the Wim Hof breathing and they're getting in the ice baths and now now it's very cool to talk about your your care routine you know mm -hmm. like lady gaga goes and sits in a tub of ice after she does a three-hour set in vegas and you're like whoa okay this woman's an athlete like yeah yeah i'm trying to get gaga up you know like that's what <laughs> I, i'm not trying to be some drunk dude who's like oh no my knee like yeah <laughs> i'm trying to take care of this thing if, if you know if my guess is this is my only go around so I really want to do it well and do it for a while. Was there a point in your music career where you were kind of questioning whether it was going to happen? <laughs> Dude, every day. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. I mean, I think I considered quitting in July. Um, Just this past July? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I went on this big trip to LA, like my first real LA trip where I went and they were like, okay, we're going to put medium build in the, in the room with a bunch of different writers and producers. And, and I just had such a bad time. Like didn't know if I was being myself, didn't know if I should be writing for me or if I should be writing for like, you know, writing pop songs for other people. Like, you know, didn't feel like I was getting noticed or went and had meetings with labels or publishers and then didn't get calls back. So I was like, I don't think this is going to go like, and I, and I, the loneliness I felt at the end of that trip was just to me, not worth, not worth it. And I said, if this is how this feels, I don't want to do this anymore. And, um, I've been writing a lot about that, about wanting to quit and doing this dance with music because I mean, I still, I'm, I'm living like paycheck to paycheck, like off of bartending and maybe doing little one-off shows, but like it's working online, but like it's not working yet. Like mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm swiping the credit card. I am, I am very much like wizard of Ozing this, like trying to make this thing work. And, um, uh, I feel like one, one thing could change and I would just be back full-time bartending, you know, like right now I have the, the ability to pop in and get some shifts and, you know, go like I popped into Juno this week and played a show and that kind of, okay. That bought me a month of, keep figuring out where the next where the next money is going to come like but like no this i very much feel like a fake you know i, I writing songs playing them live my absolute favorite thing in the world I, I don't that doesn't feel fake to me but saying that like this is my career like you know telling the irs like yeah i made this much off music this year and you know that that's when i'm like oh no like i actually have to like actually have to try harder i have, I have to do more like um, and some days, some days I just don't know if it's worth that. I don't know if it's worth that panic in my stomach. Like, I don't want to be my dad. I don't want to be, you know, in the, in, in the nineties, I don't want to be stressed out about 
the money. I, you know, nothing's happened right now, but very much in the next six months, we could sign a label deal and maybe there would be for the first time in 10 years, some financial peace uh, attached to me and music, but that's, we are in talks with people, but no one's slid a contract over. Like there's no, <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. It's, that's my little zoom out to be like, yeah, what, am I doing this? And is this real? Like, yeah. Um, what is it? Is just financial security. The only thing that I need, but yeah, there you go. There's me pontificating hard, obsessing on money and saying, Oh, I'm not legit until I'm paid, which is like kind of, kind of fucked. Cause that then invalidates people who do art, uh, without for, for, for not payment, you know? And so my, my art is valid. Writing songs is my passion. Mm-hmm. Um, will I be doing this forever? I don't know. Um, when did I know this was my thing? I knew my, I knew this was my thing. And I was like 15. I was like, this is what I, I want this. I want this more than anything. Mm. Um, what was that moment like? I wrote a song like I was, I was playing at church every week, you know, but I'd never written my own songs. And I think I like wrote my own song and I like played it for a girl I had a crush on and she didn't like me, but she liked the song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was like, Oh my God, Nick, I don't feel that way about you, but like, this is so beautiful. <laughs> like, and I was like, okay, okay. Like, you know, and I felt like I expressed myself and, and then I, and then every song I listened to after that was like, opening my world. I was like, Oh my gosh, what was this person thinking when they wrote this song? And, um, and then I started playing out, you know, like 17, 18, 19, like started playing open mics and coffee shops. And then I was like, I love this. Mm -hmm. Like even doing covers, like my first gig up here was my brother and I playing rum runners back in 09, playing in the back of rum runners, playing like sublime covers and just bad, bad, bad stuff. Like, really trying to just do anything that people liked and i was like i love this and then now i get i trick people into listening to me sing my journal entry it's like it's totally a fantasy and i'm absolutely obsessed with it um Mm -hmm. but you know if my manager decided that i wasn't worth working for and if all these labels say ah we we think you're cool but we we don't we're good and then if my agent you know if, if, if i don't get another tour if my agent's like hey nobody wants to take you on tour like then I'm, you know, then it's like, well, is it legit? Like if I, if it all stops, I bet I'd probably still, then you'd catch me going down there and playing the open mic again, you know, like, yeah. cause I love playing. I don't know. I think the thing that I'm most scared of is not being hungry anymore. Cause you know, I, I like rap music, hip hop music. And I've always followed it since the time I was like 10 years old, you know, going into Sam Goody and picking through the CDs and looking on the back of the CD cases and recognizing producers and this and that Mm. and being able to hear the hunger in those voices, you know, like Nas and Illmatic, you know, he, there's hunger there and he's like, he's like begging to be noticed and it's like it's beautiful you know and then you know you follow other artists that maybe just blow up off their first album and 
they're not hungry anymore. And you can hear it. You can hear it immediately. The first song on their second album, you can hear it. And that to me is like the scariest thing. As a consumer or as like, do you fear for people that you admire falling off? Or do you fear like deeply as like to say, if you were, you know, if you were in that Nas situation, like if you went from rags to riches, like, do you feel like you, you would miss, you wouldn't have anything to talk about? No, I think both. I think that from a listener's perspective and also from, you know, maybe the artist or I guess in my situation, like a journalist slash like podcasters situation. And, you know, I've thought about it and like, how would I, <laughs> you know, how would I give myself a reality check? And I would just put myself right back in, you know, with my Alaskan friends and family who, you know, will always tell me like, we love you, but you aren't shit. You know, <laughs> like, like they, they just yeah. really bring you back down to reality. And that's not like, that's not saying they don't respect me. They're just like, you know, that's, that's the job of, you know, your loved ones and your friends is mm. to keep you on solid ground. I love this thread because I, I have a couple thoughts. Um, one on that last thing, I'll just say to teasing me is my love language. It wasn't always, but in college, my best friends, they knew that everyone kind of loved me. And so my mom is like a huge, just cheerleader. That's her whole thing. She just loves me and my brother. She's obsessed with us. Yeah. She's on under, you know, every post I make, she's in the comments being like, we love you. We're so proud of you. So to, to love me well, to love Nick well, is to kind of poke me and, and, and uh, kind of give me some shit and um, remind me that I, you know, I do shit and I have some shit to work on. And, um, and it's always been hilarious because that just, I needed so much positive encouragement as a kid because I was so shy and awkward and I wasn't shy, but I just, I was awkward and weird and it was too much. And so then I was like, okay to be, to be criticized is to be loved for me now. Mm -hmm. Um, but to get back to the bigger point, I completely have lived in fear of that sophomore slump. Um, what do you say? You spend your whole life making the first album and then you have a year to make the next, the follow up. Mm -hmm. Um, and I used to think about that a lot and then my perspective changed. And now I don't think I'll ever worry about that anymore because I got into the craft of storytelling deeper than I am into the uh, the pop songwriting journal. So like all my stuff historically has just been me just literally just reading my, my journal. And there's still an element of that, but I started getting into some songwriters that didn't write self-referential stuff, um, like wrote fictional tales. And I started listening to this stuff and I started reading short stories and that was new. That's newer for me, like in the past couple of years, like three or four years. Uh, and now I'm like, I wrote a song last week that has like nothing in it that is fully of me, hmm. right? I can put like my emotion in it, right? I can put, I like, I can write, I can write about a character and make them as sad or as hopeful as I want. And I can give them brands of i can have them be wearing some jeans that i own but it doesn't have to be me at the bar crying in my beer right mm -hmm. and now i'm like oh my god there's to, to to run out of things to say or to not be hungry like 
I don't know. Look at look at Kendrick. Look at I mean, like the man is at battle with his brain, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, he's not poor anymore, but now he's in his he's up like you know he's talking about fatherhood and he's talking about partnership and he's talking about making sense of the world around him and to me that's someone who's like okay i'm not going to run out of shit to say i'm going to think harder about what i want to talk about mm-hmm. and like you go from songwriter to philosopher real quick you go yeah. from artist to storyteller right so like you can either go full into like i'm going to write fiction and it's going to be total arm's length or you can go down like the hip hop tradition of being like, I'm just going to start basically being a comedian and, and like, I'm just going to go up and say, Hey, what's up with this? Right. Like, mm-hmm. and I think I kind of fall in the middle of that. Like, I don't think I'll ever stop having hot takes. I don't think I'll ever stop watching people drive by my street and be like, man, I bet that guy's got a fucking story mm-hmm. and making it up in my head. Like, and then I'll, I probably will continue having panic attacks and needing to process what I'm stressed about. So yeah, I, I definitely hear that. And I used to think about, I mean, does Coldplay need to make any more albums? I don't think so, <laughs> but he, they still do. And, you know, I, I don't think Bono has anything left to say, but I don't think Bono ever got into storytelling. I think mm, Bono's okay. whole thing was, I'm just going to belt, like he never tried to change the recipe. Like, I think you have to change the recipe if you want to, for if you want to be able to write songs that continue to gut people. Mm-hmm. If your goal is just to keep having new songs to play live with a cool guitar riff, or if it's, you know, in, in the hip hop sphere, if you just need this, the, the beat to just fucking slap hard and you can just keep telling stories. I mean, that new Pusha T album this year, mm-hmm. man's just recycling stories from 15 years ago. Mm. The man hasn't been a drug dealer in that, like, like that but it's amazing i was entertained listening to it because i'm like yeah yeah i'm in the back of this car selling bricks of cocaine with push a t right now like (laughs) and you know he kind of got poked at on the in the pitchfork review like oh he he hasn't been a drug dealer since 2006 it's like who cares yeah who cares he's found a really cool way to talk about it over really nice beats and i'm into it you know and it's like that you have to find a new lane either you know, or you're, you know, maybe you're, yeah, people get criticized being, you're the 40 year old emo band guy who's still singing about getting broken up with or whatever, but you have to find something else to, to either talk about where it feels real for you, or you have to be able to basically, uh, copy paste what you came up on. Mm -hmm. You know, if fans stick around to hear a 40 year old guy talk about, you know, you know, having sex for the first time or trying to get his weight up so he can flip a brick on the corner when we know he lives in the burbs, then it's like, <laughs> probably I'm not going to go see that show, you know, if, but that's like, you, we get to decide, but like you look at movies, like, um, directors, writers that we don't ever think those people fall off with age, but somehow Somebody gets famous when they're 14, 15, 16, telling their story of the streets. And then we're like, uh, what else has he got to say? It's like, well, dude, I want to hear what Nas has to say th- these days, but yeah. he may not want to tell me. You know, I'm bummed that we haven't gotten anything out of Andre 3000 in a decade other than just some Lucy verses. Like, yeah, I was obsessed, obsessed with Outcast as a child. I mean, it was huge to me. I mean, and the way that he talks so openly about music and it as a hustle like there's that i think it's an elevators where he says if if you don't move your feet then i don't eat so we're like mm. neck to neck you know like 
basically like if I got to go back to my house and make more beats, like you heard me on the radio, but if, if you don't, if you're not dancing to this song and I don't, I don't live. And I just love that. I mean, that was them, you know, still fresh, like 94, 96, like still hungry. But I think Andre kind of said what you said. And he was just like, I don't know if I have anything to contribute to this. I'm mm -hmm. fucking rich as fuck. I made hey yeah. I got that hey yeah money. Like he had he got to fuck off. And then he said, "Okay, I, I'm going to give a, a verse to Drake this year. I'm going to give a verse to Frank this year. I'm going to give a verse to, you know, like Yeah. And maybe that's wise. You know, maybe we didn't need to see him go. I mean, I heard he went and I heard his interview with uh, Rick Rubin. He went and learned how to play saxophone. Okay. Like maybe it's maybe it's good we didn't get that Andre saxophone album, you know, but <laughs> But I'm curious, you know, I'm a fan of people. I want to know what they're up to. Yeah. Um, but I think that's, yeah, my little nugget there is get a new hustle or, or get better at a different lane because it's always something to get good at. It's always something to try. Yeah. Ideally, what would you like your music career to look like? You know, are you playing big stadiums or are you doing small, consistent work? You know, I guess not that those are mutually exclusive, but I think they represent two sides of a spectrum of success. Yeah, I think I think for me, it's going to go how it's been going the past six years, which is just slow and steady. You know, I, I don't I don't see a viral moment for me. I don't see a stadium moment. Um, I think we could be doing stadiums in ten years. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that's. I went and saw Billie Eilish last week at the forum in LA and I was like, holy crap, like 15,000 people are here. And, and, it, and she was just killing it. And I was like, I don't, but then my manager was like, you could do this. And I was like, yeah, I could run around on stage and sing my songs. Like, yeah, I do that. I do do that. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you know, there's no difference. She just has this huge platform and it's like awesome. And the show is created around a 15,000 space room. I right now create my shows around 200, 300 person rooms. And that really works for me. And I feel really intimate in those rooms. And, um, so I don't know. I, I think it's just going to keep going. I careers I love are the long ones like Billy Joel and Bruce Springsteen and, um, you know, I like Prince and heroes of mine that like, or Tyler, the creator, if we want more modern, like mm -hmm. I, I see myself in the Tyler lane of like, I'm going to make an album every two years. I want to act. I want to get into clothes. I want to, you know, like whatever I give you will be what you got. And I want to do collabs. I want to like cross pollinate. I want to tour. I want to see the whole world. And if I can see it on the back of medium build, like then that's the way, right. You know, it's, um, but I also want to keep it fresh. Like I don't want it to just be like a, I don't know. I feel like there's a level where you can kind of tell that people are just kind of just collecting a check, like in some of those legacy bands, you know, like where it's like, mm, oh, yeah. do, do Kings of Leon want a tour this year? Or are they just touring? Like, and you know, no no offense to anybody. I, people got kids and shit, but like, I don't have any kids. Uh, I've got two dogs and I've got a lovely partner and we're just gonna, I don't know. I, I, I wanna keep it fresh as long as I can. Um, even if that means like, you know, I made, make a folk album this year and then maybe next two years i make a like a rock album or maybe i want to do a dance edm like pop album like mm -hmm. i 
if that excites me and people will come along for that journey, like I'd so that's the relationship I want. But yeah, I want to do this for forever. I don't, I don't think I, I'm not trying to like get a bag off a record label and then like go into real estate, you know? <laughs> do you have any songs that maybe you're hesitant or a little scared to write? Hmm. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, I have, you know, there's a wall, right? So the first wall is my brain. My brain says, do I want to put this to, from my brain into my thumbs onto my note app? And then the second wall is me writing it in my notes. And then my, I can say, do I really want to put this on? You know, is this something I'm going to read later? Do I, can I process that? And then once it's in the notes app, it's like, okay, well, do I want to make this a song? Mm -hmm. Like, are, is this just a confessional? Like I read a bunch of shit in my journal that I will never ever sing dark shit, like weird, crazy thoughts, jokes, like, you know, it's my brain. My, my notepad is my brain. So it's like, I try to have a pretty open, I try to make sure that any thought that wants to leave my brain can, but then once it's in my notepad, it's like, okay, that's not a song. Hmm. That's an apology that maybe I need to email someone, you know, uh, yeah. or maybe that's a thing I did once and I feel really guilty about it. And I, and I'm just, all I'd be doing is just pain masturbating if I wrote that. And I really mm, just need okay. to process that wound or, um, you know, there's just so many things that don't need to be songs and maybe they are a text or there, maybe it's calling a friend or maybe it's, um, telling somebody something, but if there's a really s crazy emotion and I love it and it's scary, maybe I don't want to be completely honest about it because now more people are paying attention. Then I might give that story to a character. You know, I, I wrote that song about that kind of inspired the whole thing about my dad. And it's about this like marital spat. Like I've never been married. I've, but I've, you know, I've been in long relationships and I've definitely like gone and gotten drunk instead of like going and talking to them. Um, mm -hmm. So instead of talking about how Nick Carpenter is like drunk at the bar tonight, I'm like, oh, I'm going to create this character who sucks and is being completely selfish. And maybe he's saying things that I wish I could say, but I would never because I don't want to be left you know like mm -hmm. i you know now i can create characters that maybe are more selfish or m like more whatever because i don't have to be them and um i think that's why film and tv interests me so much it's like how long do i read my journal for like you know eventually i'll be 70 years old and be like my journal will be like i don't understand anything everybody's <laughs> different you know if i was reading my dad's journal right now it's just like he doesn't get new shit he's like just confused and like it, there's this it new makes... wine bar <laughs> yeah and and they even got a boda box and all the wines are orange and they taste like shit and i don't like it and it's like yeah so i i that's again that's right back to me being like i have to change gears eventually right like and maybe i don't know if that's a cop-out maybe that's me being scared of being honest but i think it's just me trying to find longevity and, and knowing that like maybe maybe people are more interested in the journals of 15 to 30 year olds and that maybe after 30 um your journal gets a little stuffy maybe it gets a little edited you know maybe you're like talking about your oatmeal routine instead of talking about <laughs> your heartbreak and yeah i haven't been heartbroken in a long time and but i still feel 
heartbroken, you know, when I watch a show. So I can tap into those emotions. Um, but, you know, if I wrote a song about, I found myself a lot during this last trip to LA writing about music as a, as in, as if it was a romantic thing. So putting like my love hate relationship with entertainment industry into a person and talking about spending time with a person, but it's not a person. It's this thing. Mm. It's this giant zeitgeist profession obsession that I've had. And I, I, but I will personify them as a, a, as a lover. Um, and so then that's my way of processing. Cause I don't think anybody wants to listen to a song about me complaining about how fucked the industry is and, Oh, the labels are going to give me a bad deal. I don't know if that's maybe someone would want to hear a podcast about that, but I don't, that's not a sexy song. So instead I write a song about how I'm crying over you, a titular you character. And it's not you, it's fucking music industry. It's meeting with, prof it's like everything. It's the whole machine. Yeah. But instead of being like, I hate the machine and it's looking like, you know, Boomer yells at cloud. I, I can be like, oh, I turned this feeling I have of self-hatred and self-pity into a relationship spat because that's kind of what this is. This is me wrestling with my dream and deciding whether I still want to be with it. Mm -hmm. Well, Nick, that does it for my questions. You know, thank you for spending this time with me, man. I had a great time chatting with you today. Cody, this was an absolute pleasure. I had no, no clue what to expect. And I was just absolutely floored by where we went and how easy it was to get deep and get real. And I appreciate your love for Alaska and, um, your, your time and, um, helping me sort of make sense of being an Alaskan as well. Um, I will, I think fondly of this podcast, uh, I think for time to come. Right on, man. I really appreciate that. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Love to my Alaskans. Um, you know, love, love, love this community for lifting me up and let me be, let me be the kid here for a while. It's been one of my greatest joys and honors to be a little bit of a little slice of uh, Alaska. For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit anchoragemuseum.org. This podcast was produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum, with additional help from Julie Decker. Chattermark's music is produced by Keys Open Doors. <laughs>